0: Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good to have everyone back today. Uh, We are going to be in Philippians 2, 12 through 30, so it's going to be, it seems like it's quite a a decent amount of scripture, and verse-wise it is, but uh, after we get through the first section here, verses 12 through 18... Uh, the remainder will go pretty quick because mainly it's about Timothy and Epaphroditus and uh, there's some good information we have on that and what we'll provide about both those individuals and their relationship to Paul and their relationship to the church. It's just not as deep as what the first section uh, will be today. The last time we uh, spoke about uh, Paul's viewpoint of obedience and following the will of God and and having the mindset of God and that's something that, of course, we can continue to Uh, talk about as well today because that was a ongoing theme uh, for Paul as he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, He continued to show also something that he continues about throughout this story or out this letter is the model of Christ or Christ how Christ modeled uh, what it is to be a believer and how um, especially for those who are living in Philippi and those who are being uh, called to obedience uh, under oppression and one thing that also Paul continues to reiterate throughout this uh, letter is the idea of rejoicing and suffering, and something that the church in Philippi has to do. Something that we will learn that Epaphroditus did. Paul is currently doing, and of course, what Jesus did as well. Uh, There's some references we believe that Paul makes to the uh, the uh, <clears throat> the garden of Garden of Gethsemane and the work or the way Jesus had to. You know, he he was suffering as we know, at the garden, and continue to suffer, of course, unto the cross. But there was joy three days later. So we'll, we'll get a little bit more into that as we, as we go through this. But as we move forward here, we'll start in verses 12 through 18. So I'll read those, and then from there we will uh, read the last part of uh, chapter 2 and uh, discuss what that looks like as well. Uh, so let's just make sure I'm all on the same page. And alas, we are. So So then, my beloved, uh, depending on where you are, it could also be my dear friends. Uh, Either way is the term of endearment. Uh, Just have you always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but not now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So, here we go. Uh, as we see here, uh, based on everything Paul's written uh, and taught up to this point, he continues with what uh, should look like going forward in his absence or presence, or that the, the church in Philippi should go forward, either with he, either if he is with them or if he is not. Uh, they should continue to be the light in the dark world, and that's what his hope is for them, and he rejoices in the idea and the hope that they will be doing that. Uh, one key point uh, that he brings from the previous section, especially from Verse 11 there is that Christ is the Lord. Uh, this viewer belief is to be the one that literally and ultimately, I guess better said, uh, guides uh, the church. And as you can think of it as the ultimate signpost. Everything they're working towards or, or looking to is, 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 is the Lord and, and who the Lord is and how the Lord Christ uh, modeled to them. Uh, if they believe it is true that Jesus is the Lord, uh, then their actions should mirror that belief. Uh, Paul continues to show this in the following verses as he goes through this. Uh, there's, there were those who, who would sp- speak of belief in the Lord, but their actions did not reflect what they be- said they believed. So there was not that mirror. Paul wants actions to reflect belief. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we can also look at this. Uh, as doctrine and ethics, uh, much like Paul uh, did an if-then statement based on what we're seeing here, uh, if, if we believe, if you believe, then we are going to act or we will act based on uh, what we believe or say we believe. So we have a little bit of if-then going on there. Uh, remember as you read through this section of Scripture, Paul's deep love for the church in Philippi. Uh, we can see that just based on how he started with uh, beloved there. Uh, but we also see it ongoing as he uh, uses terms of endearment uh, for the church there in Philippi and speaks of them in that sort of way. As we continue to move on here, though Paul had spoken of division, bickering, infighting, backbiting within the church, he still knows that as a whole, uh, as, a, as a group, as a community, uh, they're remaining obedient and he encourages them to do so. It's just like churches today. We, we have some bickering within the church, but hopefully the church is still moving forward on the mission uh, of that, that church is called to do their mission within the community of god so that is paul's hope too he's like i know you're not perfect and that there's some infighting and possibly division going on but i also know that as a whole you guys are moving forward and in that he rejoices uh, remember regarding paul's view of salvation it is of a journey it is not a, a one-time thing it's not a, a ticket that gets stamped uh, with the journey with our step backs uh, so you have a couple steps forward, you have a couple steps back, step forward, step back, uh, and that sort of thing. And that, that's what he expects, and that's how it is just with life in general. It's not, I, am now, uh, I have now uh, witnessed or experienced salvation, and now I will never have any sort of negative steps back. And that's never what Paul taught, and that's what no one should teach, because that's not true, because with salvation will come uh, suffering and pain, but there will also come joy as well. Uh, Paul also makes a point that he'll not always be with them and at, the, at that time was not with him. As we know, he was in uh, Rome. Uh, and he most likely never did return to him, though it was his hope that he would, as we'll learn further on in this chapter. Uh, there, there's no evidence that he did make it back, and there's no evidence that he did not make it back, but it seems based on just what we know at this point that he did never made it back to Philippi. So with the absence of Paul, uh, and hopefully to Paul, of course, this is going to be a short absence, but uh, they were to continue to what he says here is, Work out or bring about uh, their obedience to be transformed and be even more obedient uh, to the call of Christ. So this this obedience isn't just a one-time thing and it isn't just a a a value um, profiling. It's more of a this is how our lives are being transformed through our obedience in Christ. Uh, In in some translations, it looks like obedience is to be to Paul based on how it's written here. Uh, I believe it is in the NRSV where the translation does uh, toss in me. Actually, don't have an NRSV in front of me right now, but I'm pretty sure that's where it is. Uh, Most translators only have obeyed without an object, so it is assumed it is obedience to God, but there is an NRSV, uh, that edition of me, but it is not obedience to Paul. It's obedience to, to God. With that said, they were also to obey the teaching that Paul had provided and not the teachings of those who were teaching the false gospel in the church, which we know from earlier on, and as we'll know as we read through the rest of this, there were those who were there for their own, uh, uh, for their own benefit as they were there in the church. So they were, uh, he, he wants them to be aware not to be involved with those people as well. Uh, The fear and trembling that we see here is about reverence, respect, Uh, going back to verses 10 and 11, all knees will bow when tongues confess of who Christ is. This is what he's referring to here. Fear and trembling is a reverence uh, for Christ, a respect for Christ. Uh, But not only for Christ, but also for the work they were called uh, to do. It It is a reverent work and a work that is worthy and a work, of course, Any work that is worthy or it will require effort and then with that effort effort it will be also difficult. And when we reflect back on what Paul had already written about uh, suffering and rejoicing, the fear and trembling seems to be to tie really closely into this. And It is a type of suffering but the ultimate outcome is rejoicing. So fear and trembling is a type of suffering. Ultimately what that comes into is rejoicing. Rejoicing in the work of God. Rejoicing in the the service to god and rejoicing in god ultimately moving on here let's look at verse uh, 13 <clears throat> and what we see here i can do all things through him who strength oh how the heck that, that's obviously not it Jumped a jump to page on me um anyways where'd it go for it is god who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure uh, i see this as a thing they can rejoice in here as well uh, where God is working into them, or better said, causing them to move forward uh, to, to function in the way they are to function as believers. He is shaping and transforming them. All of us as believers are constantly being shaped and transformed. And if you're, if you're having the same sort of thing going on that you had when you were in fifth grade Sunday school that you do now, uh, you're probably not being transformed much. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit, you aren't allowing the Holy Spirit to work inside of you. And I'm not talking about the basics of that Jesus is our, our Lord and Savior, but, uh, which is the ultimate thing, and really there's no argument beyond that uh, or really in debate beyond that. It's, it's more of everything around the doctrines and everything else around that, and how that's shaped and how you respond to people, how you love others, how you love one another, how you uh, love yourself, how you ultimately love God. So our, our role as believers is to do the work of God. And in this situation, for what Paul's trying to communicate is, of course, the work of God is to spread the gospel, to spread the good news, to let people know what that is. Uh, for them to be obedient to their work and by being obedient, that is, is like that, that the, 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 um, the incense or the, the scent of the sacrifice. It is, it is pleasing to God. When, of course... Uh, It wasn't always pleasing to God. So if you remember going reading the Psalms and, uh, of course, other areas of the Old Testament, the the sin of the sacrifice was not always pleasing to God because it was not done in a way that was obedient to God. It was done out of own self-desires and just kind of habit. Uh, When you have the use of the word uh, work is in play here, it's not that they are to work for their faith. There's, of course, arguments about work and faith. Uh, The work is through the the in-working of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working through us as believers, transforming us as believers. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, they are to be obedient in their own work. And like I said, we don't want to get into a faith works argument here because that's not at all what Paul is going with, though there is debate about what Paul said about faith and works and what James said about faith and works. And I've got a James study that I've done on that. We've already talked about it. And a Acts study that we've talked about that as well. So if you want to go see those, you can. I, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Whose good pleasure seems to be for the pleasure of God's. Uh, one idea could be with this that God is working in the Church of Philippi so that they may have goodwill amongst themselves. So the Holy Spirit working amongst the people there in the community, which we believe that to be true, allowing for a, a unified fellowship Uh, which is obviously one of the the goals here based on how the church reflects the glory of God. If they're not unified, they are certainly not reflecting the glory of God. If we today in our own churches are not unified and loving one another, we're surely not showing the glory of God. So again, the (laughs) inworking of God within the community is enabling and empowering the community, of course, ultimately leading to that pleasure for God. The other option that we could be dealing with here uh, is God's own pleasure beyond just that of the community. This is not about God being self-absorbed, which some people would say it could be because a lot of people think that God is self-absorbed. They've done some of the stuff that they've uh, incorrectly read, but, but instead tied up with a fatherly love that finds pleasure in the salvation of his creation. So as those who are, are fathers uh, would understand this, even mothers, of course, too, but Uh, coming from a fatherly perspective, which is the only perspective I can come from, is that you see pleasure or find pleasure in the success of your children or the inner workings of the Holy Spirit of your children and and the the fruit that that produces. Uh, There's that pleasure there, and I think that's the pleasure that Paul sees here, or that, yeah, Paul is seeing here related to God. Uh, Verses 14, we have (coughs) an admonition here. towards the people related to grumblings or disputing. As we know, in churches and in Philippi, there's no different. There's grumbling or murmuring. Depending on your translation, you'll have murmuring. Uh, And there's infighting and backbiting. And so Paul is readdressing that here again. Uh, Some have looked at this as a Old Testament reference to when the people of Israel had grumbled and murmured against God uh, and the punishment that came upon them based on this. If you remember their time in the desert, Uh, for those 40 years, as well as some other times, uh, whenever the Babylonians attacked, uh, other times when the Assyrians attacked, other times when the Greeks attacked, other times when the Assyrians attacked. Uh, Paul may have been reflecting uh, upon this as he wrote this part of the letter. Uh, So Paul does not want the church to rebel uh, against God like the people of Israel rebelled against God. So the people who are listening to this, a lot of them would possibly were Jewish based on an understanding of the population there, but also many were Gentiles, and Gentiles probably wouldn't understand the Old Testament references at all as much as our uh, Jewish Christian friends. And so they would, they would understand that and get that uh, sort of reference that Paul is making here. But you don't need, really need to even know that Old Testament reference, uh, but it does help in this regard. So beyond the typical backbiting and infighting that was happening uh there there may have been some deeper concerns for the church rebelling against the teachings of god which we know that there were people who were coming in and teaching incorrect doctrine uh teaching against what paul had taught and uh pretty much misguiding the church so that was a concern paul had as we also know uh based on what paul had already written this is not a a a good witness of the church of the people watching from the outside so a concern that Paul had with this church as well as Corinth and uh, other churches that he worked with, wrote to, and, and pastor, shepherd, however you want to say it, is that, hey, what you guys are doing here isn't reflecting well. Um, if you look at, look at Revelation, for example, of the seven churches that were written to, that was another good example, though Paul didn't write that, but uh, most likely a guy named John. And, and so what, what's happening there is, is they're saying, hey, this is not good what you're doing. The folks who are not within the community here see this, and they're like, why do I want anything to do with this community? Why do I want to be a part of this community? You guys, all you do is fight each other. Boo. Stay away. I'm going to stay away. And the same thing, unfortunately, the same thing continues today, where people continue to fight within the church. Uh, They continue to represent uh, the church incorrectly, uh, and they, they go out there and they say things, they do things that do not reflect and give glory to god and the people who they think would want to come and join us are like i want nothing to do with that and so that was very much a concern of paul's and that's a concern of course we have today moving forward into verse 15 so that you will prove yourselves i can turn the page to be blameless and innocent children of god above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world so we have a, a community, uh, and as, as a community and as individuals living amongst non-believers, uh, there to live. And this continues, of course, what Paul's saying, because it is a continuation of the sentence. Uh, to live in harmony and love, and not, and no matter what their activity or occupation, uh, we know this from when he says all things. So no matter who the person is, no matter what the person does, uh, and no matter what their political beliefs are, uh, you should love them. And, and, and want to be uh, part of and have them part of the community, to know, want them to know the gospel. Now, when they change their mind and decide to follow and, and they want to become believers, that doesn't mean they have to change their politics. It just means that now they're part of the, they're, they're part of the community. And it's okay that you don't agree on all the uh, sociopolitical things out there. But we do believe on one thing. We believe in who uh, Lord Jesus Christ is. So all believers in each and every circumstance should not dispute with each other or complain. Uh, There are several reasons that they should be blameless and without fault. And a couple that we'll list here are one is that they are representatives of God, uh, set apart, much like the people of Israel. So they should live as people who are set apart. Uh, And this is not a Calvinistic statement of those who are pre-chosen and those who are not chosen, which has been completely misrepresented uh, over the years. But anyways, not even to that point, it is those who are set apart. So those who have decided who have decided within themselves to say, I want to be a follower of Christ. Those are now people who have been set apart. That's what we're talking about here. Another is that those on the outside, especially Roman officials uh, and possibly even Judaizers and other related folks were looking for reasons to take out this new sect. As we remember from uh, the first week or two, we were talking about this. And there's, I think it was actually the first week. And there was a debate of the Roman authorities of is this Christian group, are they really still part of a, the Jewish tradition, or are they kind of their own sect? And so if they're out there causing all kinds of problems, that's easy for them to say, they're their own sect, let's take them out. And that actually almost happened in many ways, but of course it didn't. So of course, by being blameless and innocent, they were less likely to be taken out by the powers of be, even though, they, of course, they were continuing to be uh, <clears throat> uh, harassed uh, from time to time. I actually just read, uh, was watching something. Uh, actually, was I reading it? Maybe I was listening to it. Anyways, it was related to uh, how how badly were the people persecuted early on in the church? And depending on the history you read, and especially when it comes from Eusebius and some of the other historians from that time who lived during that time period, uh, it it was it was pockets of really bad things going on. But a lot of Christians lived pretty good, okay lives. You know, as long as they kept their Keep their uh, head down and uh, loved people and, and did their work and were positive parts of the society. And a lot of times they did okay. But there were times, of course, where they were oppressed and they were killed and they were, it, was, it was horrific. And that's happened since then and that continues to happen to this day. Uh, but sometimes we kind of over-exaggerate how bad it was. It was bad, but let's not just make it this whole gruesome horror story. There were good things that happened then too. So at the end of verse 15, Paul's reminding them that they are <coughs> living in a generation or amongst a group of people who are unjust, harsh, evil. Uh, we continue to live in a generation that is such as that uh, just like believers today, uh, they lived in a time where there was evil and perversions and powers that they were trying to hurt the church. Uh, they must remain bold and courageous, as Paul had admonished back in chapter one. And when I say they're trying to hurt the church, I'm not talking about people who don't want to wave flags in the in the church because you shouldn't do that anyways. But what I'm talking about is people who... I'm talking about the evil and the powers that be, uh, the, non, um, the non-flesh things that are going on that are trying to take out the church. That's what I'm referring to in this point. <clears throat> uh, though the sentence here does not end, the verse concludes with an explanation of uh, who the believers are in an evil world. And this is where the dark and the light are a description of good and evil as we look in that when he says there lights in the world uh there has there are they sorry they are to be seen as light in the darkness and possibly most likely what paul could be referencing here is daniel chapter 12 verse 3 and and the world that he refers to is is not only the physical world but also the structures and man-made policies governments of the world uh and, and many times when you see the use of world especially with paul he's not referring to uh the creation that God has created, the, the our planet Earth. He's referring to the, the structures and constructs of, uh, of man. And that's what we see here. So when it says we will leave this world or this world is not our, our, our place or we're only passers through, that's true in that regard as in the constructs and the governments and the evilness that we, that we deal with here is, is temporary. Uh, the, the earth is going to be forever based on Revelation and, and, Genesis, and other parts of Scripture that pretty much says there will be a renewal of heavens and earth, of the heavens and earth. Uh, not a destruction of it and a new one, but a renewal of the heavens and earth. So we have to think about world in that way. As we continue here into uh, verse 16, uh, Paul continues, and yet transitions to the effect of their obedience uh, will reflect upon him. But it is not a a selfish comment that Paul is making here. It's not about him you guys are going to make me look bad if you continue to do this or you continue to do that. Uh, Paul encourages them to hold tightly to the gospel. Their attention and focus must be on the message of God and they must be steadfast just like God is steadfast in his love for us. They they must continue to push forward and continue to love all people. Uh, Remember that the gospel is about... The good news. Well, that's what gospel means. It is the is the word that brings life to those who are dead. So those in the darkness are dead, and they with when you bring light into that darkness, they are allowed to come alive. And with them remaining obedient and doing the work that Paul had taught them to do, uh, Paul will rejoice in the furthering. Of the gospel and the, and the work that Paul did, the suffering that he and his going through was not in vain because the church in Philippi is spreading the good news. That's what his concern of going in vain is the, the work that I've done uh, through, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. I don't want that to be work that was not used well, uh, is, is his hope. <clears throat> Uh, Paul also sees uh, or Paul also rejoices uh, because he has seen growth in the church, even when bad habits cloud the movement forward, like I said, there are steps forward, there are steps back. Uh, there's a purpose to their work. What is their purpose? to spread the gospel. Uh, they are not just doing the work for the sake of the work to be busy. Sometimes we get a little busy in the church. sometimes we just do things to do things to entertain ourselves or to keep ourselves busy, or to many a times as to run away from fear, pain, uh, angst. Uh, that we don't want to deal with, so let's just stay busy, and we don't ever have to take a step back and deal with that. But that's beyond the scope of this lesson today. But let's not just do work for the sake of work. Let's not just be busy to be busy, and to think that we're moving forward and entertaining people, and think that that's disciple making when in fact it's just entertaining people. That's that's not the point. Uh, the, the The point is is to move the gospel forward. And through that, Paul is looking at the perseverance of this community as they move the gospel along. Uh, they're, like I said, they're to be steadfast. Uh, they're to live lives that are contrast with unbelievers. As we continue on here, verses 17 18, this is the last part of this section. This is an inter- inter- interesting phrase that Paul uses related to being out, poured out as a drink offering. Uh, but we can get some additional hints of what he means if you were to go back to Second Corinthians 12, 15, uh, where Paul is saying here and there that he is willing to give away here here and there in 2 Corinthians. It's not just here and there. Uh, That he's willing to give away all that he is, all of his energy, all the way to the death to help the Philippian church become what it is to be. He is willing to give it all up, just like Jesus, the ultimate model, gave it all up uh, to be able to, to, for the salvation of the world. Uh, He knows that he is giving his all, just like Jesus gave his all on the cross. He humbled himself in obedience and sacrifice for his creation, just like when paul's trying to do the same thing humbling he wants the church in philippi to humble themselves he wants them to be obedient he wants to be the same way so the statement of uh, <clears throat> of humility this uh, statement of uh, obedience is again paul reminding them of the mindset of christ and the mindset that they should have as well to put one another first and to love one another fully uh, the second part of verse 17 here Uh, shows us again that this is where Paul finds his joy or this is where Paul rejoices in knowing that his work was again not in vain, that the gospel continues to move forward and the church in Philippi remains obedient to the will of Christ. In verse 18, Paul brings in the Philippian church that they along with him should be joyful and rejoice in their suffering and that the work that they're doing to further the gospel. So he again urges them, to move forward with the gospel, it seems in the urging, Paul is giving them an imperative uh, that as they are to look for joy and to rejoice in their work, though it is hard, they must not lose sight of the good that comes out of the work that they're doing. Because many times, as you know, as someone who who, who is a believer and working towards the goals that God has put in front of us. Uh, sometimes it is frustrating sometimes we don't see uh, the fruit that we want to see, but then again that's not our job to see the fruit of what we want to see. It is to continue to do the work of God and to rejoice in those who rejoice. Remember that the uh, the joy joy to Paul is not based on circumstances but by the uh temporal and informal joy joy is a joy is a frame of mind uh grounded in the belief that God is working all things. For good, so that's that's how Paul looks at joy. Things are going in the right direction. God is working in us and through us and through this His creation for all things good. All right, like I said, sorry about that, but like I said, the um, that first section that we just covered was relatively dense. As we go to the next piece here, it's actually and it's quite a few more verses it'll actually go much more faster just because we're learning a little bit more about Timothy and Epaphroditus uh, and they're what we'd refer to as two other noteworthy models of believers in in Christ so let's go ahead and to jump into verses uh, 19 through 30 and uh, I'll read those and then we will move forward so by hoping the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I am, learn of your condition, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ. We think he's refer- referencing back to those in the church who are doing it for their own, out of selfless desires. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Notice how the titles that he gets as we continue to go on, because he was longing for you. All was and all he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not only him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Some people would say that in that last verse there, Epaphroditus is being compared to uh, the death of Christ. And we'll explain a little bit more of that as we go a little bit further along when we get there. Uh, So there's two models that Paul highlights here. One, the first one, of course being Timothy, uh, who based on verse 19 is most likely uh, somewhere in Rome or close proximity to Paul, who we believe to be in Rome. uh, And possibly still under uh, the tutelage of Paul, probably still getting guidance from him, uh, advice, uh, not probably not the five best ways to be a Christian but true good good stuff good stuff, how to, how to grow spiritually how to grow as a pastor, as a shepherd uh, because that was what Timothy uh, did a lot of times, he was a shepherd uh, for the church uh, so we know that there's, there's a whole lot we know about Timothy, again I've done the uh, the pastoral epistles on Timothy, so if you want to go back and, and see those, uh, we have a record of that and then also in Acts, we have some information on Timothy as well in those videos. But anyways, with uh, Timothy, we know that he is a, uh, he was part Jewish and part Gentile. Uh, and we, we know some history of his, his travels uh, and most likely met Paul on his second missionary journey. Uh, he has, of course, a relationship with the Philippi church, just like Paul does. Uh, so they are familiar with who he is. So Timothy has been to Philippi at some point. The Philippian church know who he is. And so they're, that's good to go. So it seems Paul's hope that he'll be able to eventually send uh, Timothy who will stay for a short while and then Timothy will return to Rome and report back. What Paul is hoping to be encouraging news, encouraging news being, of course, that, hey, we've, we've, we've sent Timothy. He's helped kind of you guys get your stuff together and figure it out. Things are going forward again in a good way, and he'll come back and tell me all the great things you guys are doing. Uh, Paul thrives off of the encouraging news he hears from the churches that he has worked with and helps him to keep going. So that is something that Paul, why, why Paul would send Timothy or send Epaphroditus to be able to continue himself to be encouraged, though he's locked up and not able to go to be able to send these people to be able to do it. The surrogates, I guess you would call them the surrogates if you would like to. Uh, Timothy is also uh, to take words of encouragement from Paul, along with Epaphroditus, as we'll see here, as we saw there in verse 25. Uh, note that the use of the word hope here is, is more than wishful thinking or a preference, but it said Paul uses hope here and in, um, I think it's verse 23, uh, it means a confidence of future outcomes based on personal and communal relations with God. So it's a pretty deep hope. It's more than just, hey, I hope you have a good day. It's more of, uh, I hope that through our communal relationship with God, I know all things will work out and I have hope that all things will work out. It is his expectation and sincere belief that, was, that what he is writing will come to full fruition someday. His hope is in the Lord and the Lord only, as we know this, that his travel plans depend on the will of God. Uh, we know that from 1 Corinthians 4.19, uh, an empowering spirit, which you know from this, uh, this book, letter, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, and from Philemon, uh, a praying people, which is uh, Philemon 22. As we look at verses twenty and twenty-one, Paul reminds that the church of Timothy is a another model for them to uh, to follow, uh, who is like-minded with Paul, uh, just like like-minded with Christ. So they have the same mindset. Again, that continues on as it's continued on through this letter, <clears throat> uh, showing that Timothy is a model of what it is to be a believer in Christ. is contrasted with other people who, like are most likely, are the leaders or at least influential people in the church of Philippi. Most likely the people from chapter 1, verses 15 and 17 that Paul called out out as self-serving. Though they do proclaim Christ, they're self-serving in why they do it. It's probably for their own gain, uh, most likely monetary gain. And these people, of course, so as Paul contrasts, are not of the same mindset as Timothy, this person that he's sending for them to to model after. Uh, Again, this points back to earlier contrasts that Paul makes between those who are of selfish ambition and those who are like Christ humility, obedience, and selflessness versus those who are selfish and full of self-ambition. Uh, Paul and Timothy both rejoice as they are like-minded in the success of the Philippian church. That is their ultimate goal. And they both mourn in the division uh, that Paul had spoken of earlier. They're both fully committed to the ministry of Philippian church. Uh, the, the, the division I'm referring to, of course, is the division that he they had heard of uh, within the church. <clears throat> uh, verses 22 through 23 uh, after contrasting Timothy with the others, as you see there, he furthers Timothy's qualification to the church and shows how Timothy has studied under Paul. Think of it as a an apprentice, and it's now he's uh, qualified. And I'm using that word apprentice lightly because it's more than just an apprenticeship, which we'll see here in a second. Uh, much how Paul studied under the great teacher. Uh, Gamaliel. Uh, remember the F- Philippians were already familiar with Timothy's proven character, as they already knew him. They, so they knew he, he was a man of integrity and a man of character, and now so it's it's not that it, it's going to be a concern uh, for the Philippian church. Uh, we cannot miss out on a deep relationship between Paul and Timothy. Uh, he refers to him as his son, which allows us to get a better understanding of their intimate relationship. So it is more than an apprenticeship, as I said. It is, uh, it is a deep loving relationship between two Christ followers and though followers, not qualifiers. that's funny, though Timothy apprenticed under Paul, Paul's not treating him as an underling, but instead as an equal servant. And we know that from chapter 1, verse 1, when this letter is introduced, where Paul puts Timothy at the same level as himself. In verse 22, we see how Paul and Timothy model the oneness of the soul which he is calling for the Philippian church to have the same sort of oneness. Uh, Timothy going to the Philippian church exemplifies Christ and is in the incarnate of Paul based on their oneness. So Paul, So Timothy is going, we could say, as Paul, which is Jesus came to earth as God uh, to, to the church. Not certainly neither Timothy or Paul are God, but there's just kind of an example of how Paul is going. They're so t- tightly Bound together so close in their beliefs and their love for and affection for each other, that they that they can go like that. So Timothy can goes the incarnate of Paul. Uh, when we can, when we can gather from verse twenty three and looking ahead to verse twenty five, Timothy will remain with Paul for now until he knows more about what will happen to him. So what will happen to Paul? Paul's still not sure what's going to happen, but he will go ahead and send Epaphroditus, uh, who most likely brought this letter uh, that we're studying. And he's most likely the one who brought this to the, to the church after Epaphroditus brought word from the church to Paul. Uh, verse 24, though Paul does not know what will happen with him and or to him, he still holds on to hope uh, that someday he'll be able to return to Philippi to see fellow believers and continue to help guide the Philippian church. And most likely he was looking beyond just uh, Philippi, but all of the Macedonian region and help move the gospel forward. All right, on to the next section or the final section, verses 25 through 30. This is where we get introduced to Epaphroditus and his role within the Philippian church. We really don't know uh, very much about Epaphroditus, especially when you compare it to Timothy. Uh, we refer to Acts and Paul's second uh, missionary journey uh, whenever it comes to, as well as in First and Second Timothy. There's a whole, two whole letters for Timothy. No such thing for uh, Epaphroditus. Uh, there are a few, uh, there, there are many times uh, that the name uh, Epaphroditus is used throughout uh, Greek texts, not only in the Bible but other Greek texts of that time. Uh, apparently, it was a very popular name. Eusebius mentioned a person by the name of Epaphroditus, who most likely is not this Epaphroditus. Uh, but he's only mentioned here uh, in the letter of Philippians, so we know very little about him. Uh, we know that his name, his uh, the 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 name uh, Epaphroditus, is from the name of. Uh, I I just completely went blank. It's a a prophet. Aphrodite. 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 Uh, Sorry about that. It means lovely or handsome and even charming. A common name. Of course, like I said, the greco roman world. Uh, We know he's from Macedonia. We know he's a Gentile. and We know he's a Christian. Uh, He was a leader in the Philippian church and sent a messenger to visit uh, Paul and to take him gifts. And Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Uh, So verse 25 continues. Timothy Epaphrodite, I can say it all for now, Epaphrodite, Epaphrodite, okay. Uh, though Timothy will stay for now, once the letter is complete, Paul will send Epaphroditus, or better said, return Epaphroditus, uh, back to the church in Philippi. And remember, that's where he is originally from, based on what we know. Uh, notice here how Paul gives Epaphroditus five different titles, probably better said labels, uh, identifiers even. Uh, none of them official as an officer in the church or an official role within the church. Uh, but to explain the work that Epaphroditus has been doing as well to show how his deep relationship and bond between Epaphroditus and Paul. Uh, one of the titles uh, stands out is the one of, of soldier. He only uses this term here and in Philemon. Uh, some would say Paul used it as a strict court in, in, in Philippi. He used it because Philippi was a Roman military colony and the people would understand what that meant and what a soldier was and what that was like. Uh, he is not using this as in a way of—he's uh, coming back with a sword to slay all the bad people. He's coming back and he's going to be really mean to people, or he's going to blow them up, or you know whatever. He's—he's he's coming back with that um, integrity and character, and uh, focus of a of a soldier of working with them. Uh, some translations may have apostle instead of messenger, but again, there's no evidence here that he held an official position of apostle beyond messenger between. Paul and the church. Uh, the minister was related to that of Epaphroditus ministering and serving Paul while in Rome, not a title of minister or bishop for the church, uh, though he most likely did minister to the people in Philippi at some level, but not in an official capacity. Uh, verse, I told you we are going do this fast. Uh, verses 26 through 27, uh, we get a good idea here how much passion and compassion Epaphroditus had for his community in Philippi. Uh, the longing that Paul references is uh, <clears throat> the use of the word anemonein. The only other time that this is used in the New Testament is when Mark describes Jesus' soul when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so when we see there this longing uh, for you all is that is that word and was distressed as part of that word as well, probably distressed is closer to that word uh, because that he, he that's how he felt. That he felt as, as intense distressed as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane based on how this word is being used like I said it's only used twice in the New Testament <laughs> we are not sure how, how he became sick some people th- think that maybe he was overextended uh, himself as he traveled from Philippi to Rome which I believe was like a three week journey which if you do that really fast that could be overextending yourself uh, what really stands out here is that Epaphroditus was worried sick that the people in Philippi were worried sick that he was sick uh, and so that was, that was another one thing that's coming out here is that he is so concerned that they're worried because they're worried about him, and he doesn't want them to worry. And so he's like, oh, I'm so worried about this, so that's making me sick. And they, I know they're worried sick about me being possibly sick, and I was really sick, and he almost died. Anyways, what this shows us again is the humility and the selflessness of Epaphroditus. Uh, the church's worry for Epaphroditus helped bring them closer together in unity, which is, so that's a, that's a good thing, as they were concerned for their, one of their very own. They were concerned for them and united them and brought them together is what we're seeing from this. Uh, verse 27, Paul confirms the illness here, but also provides a bit of additional information about God's mercy for Epaphroditus, as well as for Paul, again, pointing the people in Philippi towards God and his mercy. Hey guys, look at the mercy that they had on, that God had on Epaphroditus. That mercy was also on me as well. God's mercy is also on you. So please keep that in mind. And what that allows us to see here is God's sovereignty and his generosity for his people, that God is sovereign. Uh, Paul also knows that God's mercy is upon him uh, in in other parts of this as well. We all see that Paul has developed a deep love and respect for Epaphroditus and as it would have deepened him sadly to have lost Epaphroditus at this point. So you don't say that about somebody, about how God had mercy on me because this person did not die. is because... The reason that is because you can see that just the intensity of the love he had for him. Verses 28 through 30, so we're wrapping this, this up. Epaphroditus is alive and well and ready to continue to work and to return uh, to, to Philippi. Uh, Paul is anxious and the church is anxious about the well-being of Epaphroditus. And both are anxious to see him complete his mission. So not only that, hey, it's time for you to move on, it's time for you to get back though I will miss you Epaphroditus Paul is saying uh, I'm excited to see him return to the church and the church is excited to receive him so they're anxious to receive him a good anxious and Epaphroditus is a good anxious to go and Paul is a kind of probably a mixed anxious because he's happy to see him go but at the same time he's sad to see him go uh, so you have that <clears throat> and so it kind of goes with if Paul's in a happy anxious side or happy that Epaphroditus is going it's probably from Romans 12:15 to re- rejoice with those who are rejoicing <clears throat> this again again continues. I know it may sometimes sound like a, a broken record, but there's this again this deep affection that is being shown not only to Epaphroditus, but to uh, the love he had for the Philippian church. In other words, division. The church is still united and deeply held together through the love of Christ. We're seeing this continue to happen, though there is some issues within the church. Uh, this uh, will also give them an opportunity to rejoice amidst their suffering, Again, a common theme through this letter, that though they're suffering there in Philippi or having issues there in Philippi, they're rejoicing that Epaphroditus is coming back. Uh, there's joy in that, joy and for Paul to know that the, the gospel will continue forward. And so we can see that as well. Uh, Paul brings up that he almost died uh, for the, the work of the uh, of, of God. Um, <clears throat> And it can, again, what it does is it shows us here is the, the character of Epaphroditus. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is this humble and self-sacrificing uh, that he, someone who is willing to die for a cause uh, is something that the church can model after, uh, to, to die for the cause of the church, to die for the cause of the, the gospel. In verse 29, Paul admonishes them to receive Epaphroditus with welcome arms, a warm welcome. It seems like they will already, but Paul just wants to remind them this is how you should do it. Uh, and this is the same way he wrote, so the same words he uses for uh, Epaphroditus, he uses for Phoebe when he sends Phoebe uh, to Rome, to take the letter to Rome. Uh, and so this what this tells us, that both Epaphroditus and Phoebe had the same role in taking Paul's letter to whatever respective church they were taking it to, Epaphroditus to Philippi, Phoebe to Rome. And for, for the most part, they would then spread the message of the letter to them. So they would teach to both men and women the letters that that Paul had sent to them. Uh, The work of Christ in in verse 30 is what Paul refers to as a gift that Epaphroditus uh, brought to Paul from the Philippian church. Uh, This is the monetary uh, gift, but it was more than just a monetary gift to Paul, but a spiritual gift showing the love that the church had for Paul. Uh, Some would say that this near-death experience, or better said this very sacrificial Experience, like I said earlier, is Paul pointing back to chapter 2, verse 8, where it is, noticed, where it is noted that Christ died, uh, uh, that Christ was obedient to death. Epaphroditus was obedient as well and was heading to death and almost died, uh, showing us that Epaphroditus was a humble and obedient servant like Christ, a model of Christ, a model the church should follow. And so that gives us a really good example of who Epaphroditus was, who Timothy is, and again, this is kind of more about Epaphroditus and Timothy, but it does give us a little bit of explanation for both, Uh, and so that's where we are, and that's where we end today, and next time, probably until the next year, we'll be in chapter three, you know, probably do half of chapter three, and then the next half of chapter three, and they'll do chapter four, probably in two parts as well, depending on how everything's going. So, I hope everyone has a great Christmas and New Year. Uh, Thank you very much. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.